Hey, welcome to the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to listen today. We have a saying in our church, life is messy, everyone is welcome, and anything is possible. So no matter where you're at in your life, we hope that this message brings you some encouragement. Enjoy. My name is Christian. As Pastor Matt said, I'm from Tampa, Florida. Uh, more importantly, Pastor Mark and I have been longtime friends and uh, our dads, uh, we're, we're both PKs, preachers, pastors, kids, so that explains a lot, right? Like, they are the worst of the worst, and so we were those guys, and um, we have a lot of stories that we can tell. Our dad used to preach together, and uh, so naturally, we formed a relationship, Mark and I did, and uh, we went into ministry together. We went to the same Bible college, and um, we um, eventually started traveling around all over the country, and we were speaking as student pastors. And um, so we had an opportunity to really get to know each other. Uh, I love Mark very, very deeply. And uh, he and Lori are amazing people. So I just want to say this quickly. I know you already know this, but I want to just say this from an outside perspective. Um, I have watched Mark for a very long time, and I just want you to know that there is an anointing on your pastor's life. Uh, And he has the favor of God resting on him. And uh, we have seen supernatural things take place and God do unbelievable things in his life. Um, and it's just an honor to be able to see what he's doing right here uh, in this city and in this community here in Indiana. Um, but I want you also to know this, that as you say here, it's a great slogan to have, no perfect people allowed, life is messy. I think sometimes we tend to forget that life can also be messy for pastors, and life can be messy for leaders. And he, as a leader, spends all of his life and all of his time investing in you and in the leadership here and in the community here. Um, And uh, sometimes he gets tired, and and things just uh, overwhelm him, and he just becomes overwhelmed with the things that he has to experience. And then... In the middle of all of that, um, you have things that happen that are unexpected. And yesterday, as we were packing up our stuff, we were supposed to be flying back to Tampa, my wife and I, and our little girl, who, by the way, is one years old today. And uh, so we are, yeah, thank you, we're celebrating her birthday today with you. But um, as we were packing up and getting ready to fly back to Tampa, I was supposed to be speaking at our church this morning. Uh, we got word that Mark's older brother passed away. And um, it was a devastating blow uh, for a lot of reasons, clearly. And so we were just sitting, we just stopped packing, and we were just kind of sitting there and having a conversation with Mark. And Mark was emotionally distraught and just crying and praying through it. Of course, he's carrying the burden of Scott and all the things that are going on with, with him. And uh, I was able to go to the hospital with him on Tuesday to pray over Scott, what a great man and family, and, and so he was already carrying that, and then all of a sudden this, he gets this news, and as we were sitting there, I was just in prayer, and I just felt the Father speak and say, change your flight, you're not supposed to go home, you need to be here with, your, with Mark and, and walk them through this, and so I said, Mark, I'm, I'm going to cancel my flight, and I'm going to stay here, and so I had Trish get on the phone, and we tried to cancel it, and they wouldn't the airlines, they wouldn't let us cancel it, right? We didn't have enough time. And I'm that guy that is not going to spend $12 on insurance for anybody because I'm never going to need it. Lesson learned, right? And so we, uh, we just said, well, you know what? We're going to lose all that money, and 
we're just going to trust the Father uh, to, to, to get us home. But we have to stay. Then the Father said, um, spoke this to me and said, Mark's not supposed to be at church on Sunday. Mark needs to stay home and not just jump into pouring into everybody else, but we need to pour into him. He needs time to rest, and he needs some time to grieve, and he needs some time to walk through this. Because I will tell you this right now. I think the most important job that a church has for their leadership, and specifically those who are leading at the level that Mark is leading, is that we hold them accountable to their personal health. Remember, your leader can only give away what he has the capacity to give. And so it's important that we really pray for and we are concerned with and holding our leadership accountable to their own personal health. This is what I love about Mark. Mark trusts the Spirit of God so much that he said, you know what? They call me Doc, my nickname. He said, you know what, Doc? He said, that's, that's what we're going to do. He said, we're going to do that. And so that's why I'm standing here today. So Pastor Mark is at home, he and his wife, and we're going to pray for them. We're going to be working through with the leadership team on the next few weeks here and how we can just help encourage Mark and Lori to resting and finding some help. What I'm going to say to all of you is let's be in prayer. And and let's just ask God to give Mark the strength and the courage that he needs to find the personal health that he needs to find to be able to lead this great church. And by great church, I mean a great church and work of God to continue to lead this place and this church to the next level. I want to use that as an opportunity to just kind of segue into what God has for us here, the word and the message that God has today. In life, without a doubt, um, we experience these moments um, that oftentimes turn into seasons where we get an unexpected word or we face an unexpected reality. Uh, Something happens or we get news about something that transitions and shifts the entire atmosphere of our life. It could be a loss of a job. It could be a crisis in a marriage. Uh, It could be a personal health crisis it could be something happening or going on with your finances or maybe something in, your, uh, in the season of parenting where we face these crises or we face these things where we have to stop and really look to the Father and go, God, is this really happening right now? Are, are you really going to make me walk through this right now? Like, is there any possible way that this thing that I'm experiencing, this personal crisis that I'm walking through, this unexpected turn of event, this entire shift in my atmosphere, is there any way that there can be a different way than this? Uh, It doesn't matter if you're a teenager, you're a young adult, you're an older uh, person, you've just lived lots and lots of years of life or not that many, you understand what it means to have those unexpected turns. I think the question that we have to ask today is not what do we, uh, will these things happen or will these things come into our life? I think the question we have to ask is what are we going to do or how are we going to respond when they do? So can I just say this before we get into the text this morning? If you're there now and you're facing a crisis now or you're in a situation where you're looking up to the heavens and you're going, God, really, is this really what we're going to do now? If you're there in this moment, I want you to know, as I said a moment ago, God is going to provide a way. And I'm going to show you today how to navigate through this through an example that Jesus Christ left us that is absolutely transformational. If you're here today and everything is going awesome and you feel like you're on the top of the world, my only word to you is just 
Take this in, soak this in, because I promise you, trust me, at some point, you're going to need it. Amen? So if you have your Bible today, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter number 26. Of course, if you don't, it's okay. Everything will be on the screen for you. I feel like in the church today now, we just need to say, turn on your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look at a very famous passage of Scripture This is the very end of the portion of Jesus' life where he is in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples or his chosen three. And um, there's a fascinating scene with Jesus here where he is, he's praying and he's about to face the most difficult part of his journey while here on earth. And I want to just captivate a few statements and things that he prayed. And I want to try to, if we can, put ourselves in the moment and witness and see and experience what Jesus was experiencing. Because I, I believe there's a deep and embedded lesson here in the text that can bring transformation for all of us who are in that crisis or in that season of life that we're facing right now that we don't know what to do or how to respond I think there's something great here that Jesus shows us. So if you're, uh, if you're there, follow along, starting at verse number 36. The text says this, Then Jesus came with him to a place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to, uh, to be sorrowful and troubled. Uh, next verse he said, He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he fell face down and he prayed. I want you to just kind of captivate this. If you write in your Bibles or maybe take a picture of the screen. He said this, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he asked Peter, he said, so you you couldn't stay awake with me for one hour? He said, stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, a second time, he went away and he prayed and he said, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and he found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. And after leaving them, he went away again three times. Guys, I want you to captivate this. Three times he goes away and he prays the third time. And he says the same thing, what? What does it say, the text? He says the same thing, what? Once more. One more time. And then there was a shift. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See that the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go and see my brother is near. See that my brother is near. So really quick, get the scene. Here's what's happening. Jesus knows what he is about to face. Jesus understands that his entire purpose for coming to earth was to fulfill and accomplish the will of God. What was God's will in this story? Well, the will of God was for him to restore and to bring his creation back into a relationship with him. Because of sin, we were divided, we were separated from God. And so it was the will of the Father. He sends Jesus to earth, and Jesus knows that he is about to step into the ultimate will of God. Why God sent him here. But we find him in a garden, and he's falling on his face. And if you read other parts of this, and even Dr. Luke, who wrote um, uh, different parts of the scriptures, and some of the apostles, they recorded uh, Jesus as being in such distress 
He is praying so fervently that the stress creates his capillaries. They begin to burst and sweat and blood begins to pour from his body. So as you're watching this scene or as you're seeing this unfold, you're asking the question, what is it that you're so distressed about? Why are you so overwhelmed in this moment, Jesus? And I think what's embedded in the text is what we look over a lot because we focus on the part where Jesus surrendered to his will when it said, nevertheless, not your will, but my will. But I want you to look at something totally different. I want you to see something in the text here, I believe, that has the message that teaches us how to face these crises and to move to the other side of things when we don't know what to do. Here is what he said. This is the key point to Jesus' prayer. He said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. See, what I believe, church, is is that Jesus was not struggling with the will of God. He was struggling with the way in which God's will was going to be accomplished. This is what I believe every single follower of Christ in this room faces every time we face a crisis. We do not realize that God is ultimately in control and that he is a sovereign God and that he really does have the whole world in his hands and that every single thing that we face in life and that every single thing that we walk through in life is not God checking out on our story. It's God just refining the story. Jesus was at this moment where he knew, God, your will is to reunite uh, the, the fallen and the sick back to you. I have no problem with your will. I don't want to change your will, but what I would love to change is the way in which the will is going to be accomplished. Is there another way that we can do this? I've been there in my own life. I've been in those moments where I've asked the Father, is there another way besides this way that I'm walking right now? And ultimately what Jesus had to do was he had to come to the place where he trusted the Father for the outcome, uh, for, for the, uh, outcome and he surrendered to the process. This is what changed everything for him was when he said, I'm not just surrendering to the will. I don't have a problem with God's will for my life. What I must do is surrender to this process that's going to lead me to the will. In fact, it's the statement I believe Jesus would make. This is not happening to me. This is happening for me. These are the things that God has put in place so that his perfect will can be accomplished in my life. If you fast forward the story, in fact, go to John chapter 19 and verse 30. Here is Jesus finishing this scene out. And here's what it says. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, would you read the words in yellow out loud with me? What did he say? It it is accomplished. Then bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. What was accomplished? What did he accomplish? He accomplished the will of God. God's will was fulfilled in this moment, but why was Jesus able to get to this place where he could say, it is accomplished, I am living in the perfect will of God for my life right now, because he was willing to surrender to the process or to the way that was going to lead him to the will. In 2015... 
We started our church, Next Level Church, in 2008. We were moving along. Things were happening tremendously. We were seeing exponential growth. We had acquired an 11-acre campus after a lot of time of setup and teardown. If you're not familiar with that, that's the word for the church planter. Is It's basically death. Um, every Saturday night, you go in, and you're setting up an elaborate setup like this in a school. You're turning it into an auditorium. It's just, it is brutal. We did it for, for years. In 2013, we'd acquired an 11-acre campus, and we moved to this campus, and man, God was just doing some great things. I just knew that I had surrendered myself. We were walking out everything that we could. I was doing the best I could to walk God's path and God's will. It wasn't perfect, but doing the best I could to say surrendered. And then in that process, the, my marriage began to, to become very, very troubled. Actually, it was troubled for a while, and there were a lot of things that were leading to that troubling, and I'll spare you the details, um, but... At a certain point, I had to make a decision. I was taking the children. I was going to leave the home for a little bit. And I spent seven days fasting and praying. And the Father gave me some things to, to say to my wife at the time. And so we entered into some therapy and some counseling. And we were walking through this for several weeks and even months. And I had moved in. Our therapist said, I want you guys to stay separated during this time. And we're going to try to walk through this crisis together. The entire time I was pastoring the church and things were going well, the church had grown by over 400% from the time that we moved onto that campus. God was still doing unbelievable things. We were planning multiple services up to around our fifth service, I think we were planning. Things were happening. And then all of a sudden, I was facing this crisis. And I remember often in those times of counseling when I was walking through this part of the journey, I'm like, I would ask the question, I'm like, God, I I don't understand why we're doing this now. Like, I have surrendered everything in my life, and I've given every part of what I have to this church plant, and I've invested in this, and I've given you my life, and we're walking through this, and we're seeing great victory. I I don't understand what's happening right now. Why are we doing this? And I remember having a lot of private conversations with God, and to move the story along, at some point, I think about 10 to 11 months on the other side of of this event happening, I was sitting in the counseling session with the therapist, and my wife at the time, uh, she just very casually said, I want you to know this will be our last session. I filed for divorce. And I remember I was about to speak something. The father said, do not say a word. And so I just kept quiet. The counselor spoke into it. A couple of days later, a couple of weeks later, I was, got a phone call from a sheriff's department. And he said, um, the sheriff said, I'm looking for a Christian Ferris. And I said, this is he. He said, I need to meet you. And I knew right then. I said, do you have divorce papers for me? He said, I do. I went and picked him up. And I remember going home that night. And I was living at my sister's at the time. Now, I want to keep in mind, I was pastoring this church. And we were trying to just continue to do what God had called us to do. I remember going home that night. And I was bawling my eyes. I spent the entire night praying. And I don't know if you've ever prayed and groaned in the spirit. But I spent the entire night. I never slept a wink. I just spent the entire night. And the, the bed was soaked with my tears going, God, I cannot believe that this is how this is going to end. I have to stand up in front of the church, and I have to tell them what's happening. I have to tell them what's going on, and nobody's going to have any confidence. And I'm just walking through all of the fear and all of the things that, that, that you walk through in these moments and these seasons, these moments where you have these crises of belief. And um, I, I got very bitter. I got really bitter. I don't remember even having conversations with God going, like, I don't get you. I don't get you. Like, I wouldn't, if I were you, I would have never done this to me. Have you ever been there? Am I the only guy in the room? Like, have you ever just, like, I would not have done this. 
And I, I just could not make it make sense. But I want to tell you something that happened. I continued to push through on just my character alone. And I thought, well, if I just keep showing up, and I keep doing what I'm supposed to do, and I keep walking this thing out, everything's just going to, that's what I've been doing all of my life. I'm just going to keep medicating with ministry. I'm going to keep self-medicating with ministry. I'm just going to keep covering it, pouring it into every. I'm just going to keep going until I had a moment of just total crash and burn. My elders came to me and said, Christian, you, you need to step away. You are not healthy. And that first hearing those words in your mind, I'm like, I'm everything, everything I've worked for is gone. Everything I've invested my life in, it is over, it is gone. For 15 weeks, I walked away and I went into therapy and I began to just work through some things in my life and God began to reveal some things. But I want to just quickly, as we wrap this up today, I want to show you what God showed me that moved me to the other side of this where I can stand in confidence today and tell you, Hamilton Hills, that if you're there in this moment, God's going to do the same thing for you. The very first thing that we have to do in our life when we come to this place, and what I had to realize and what I had to come to grips with is this, is I had to trust that God had a best for my life and that he had the ability to get me there. Here's what is true for every one of us in this room. When you begin to be faced or when you are faced with some sort of a crisis or you're in that moment of a crisis of belief, what is the very first thing that we have a tendency or we're tempted to do? We question and challenge the goodness of God, don't we? We question and we challenge the goodness of God and that challenge forces us to either walk away from what we're questioning, say, I'm not going to do that and trust the Father or to step into a place of taking ownership and control of things that we have no business controlling. What I had to remember and what I had to realize is, is that I, God is still a good God even though things right here are not good. We said it just a moment ago and we sang it just a moment ago. Your pastor right now, he is surrounded by crises and the temptation is to go, God, really? Are you really doing this now? But we have to remember and trust that God is good even in the midst of the crises. In fact, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I love this passage, super familiar. You probably can quote it. It says, trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? With all of your heart and do not rely on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him or know him and he will make your path straight. I love this word all because all for me may be different than all for you. It doesn't mean that you have to have the same faith as somebody else or the same level of trust as somebody else. Some people have a five-gallon bucket of trust. Some people only have a thimble of trust. All God is saying is whatever you've got, whatever level of trust you've got, I want you to put it in me, press in and lean in and realize that I do have a best for you and I have the ability to get you there. This is part of surrendering to the process. See, this is a fascinating reality. That if we do not trust God's best for us, what we end up doing in life is settling for what is good over what is best. Many Christians today are walking in the reality of settling for what is good over what is God's best. So you have to trust in this moment that God has the best for you regardless of what is happening around you. Regardless of what the crises of belief may be, God has the best and he is a sovereign God and he has the ability to lead you into his perfect will.
But not only do we trust that God has a best, we have to be willing to surrender the outcomes over to Him. If you get nothing else today, get this. You have to surrender the outcomes over to the Father. Passage of Scripture that I love in this, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Watch this. So that he may exalt you when? At the what? Say it, church. You can read at the what? Proper time. What does that mean? That in the right season and the right timing and in the right amount, nothing lacking, nothing missing, when it's your time, God is going to elevate you. He's going to raise you up. He's going to bring you to the other side of the crises. He's going to show you the victory that you're longing for in your life when it's His time, not yours. So what do you have to do? You have to surrender those outcomes over to Him. And then next, cast all your fear and anxiety on Him. Why? Because he really does care. He really does care. Even if you're sitting in this moment, you're like, he's forgotten about me. I'm not important to him. I want you to understand that we have a word that says God knows you to the detail. Everything about you, even the number of hairs on your head, I make it so easy for him. But he knows every detail of your life. I want you to write this down very quickly. God has only given you the power to control two things. The only thing you have the power to control in this life is your actions and your attitude. Nothing else. I defy you to find something else in this world that you have the power to control other than your actions and your attitude. I will take it a step further and to let you know that you don't even have the power to control the fruit of your actions. And so walking in real trust and real surrender means that I am relinquishing the outcomes even in the midst of this crisis that I don't get, I don't understand, I have no idea why we're going through this, I have no idea why my marriage is facing this, I have no idea why this financial crisis has happened, I don't know why I lost this job that I've given all my, I have no idea why this is happening. But here's what I do know. The only thing I can control in it is my actions and my attitude. If you come down to this reality, you start to live this out in your life, you want to talk about relinquishing stress and chaos and insanity, this is the first step, is taking every single outcome and saying, Father, I'm turning it over to you. Now, Now, first, you have to believe that he has the best for you and that he really is a good father. When you Settle that in your heart. It makes it easy for you to take everything else and say, I'm giving it to you. You know, the reason that we have so much chaos and insanity in our life is not because of the things that are happening around us. We want to blame those things. Pastor Matt said something really interesting and important this morning in his monologue. He said that there is a peace that transcends and passes all understanding that the world cannot figure out. There is no science behind it. You cannot explain it. There's no formula. Why? Because it's a gift from God. 
And so the, the insanity, the chaos, the things that you're experiencing in your life is not because things are chaotic around you. Because God has a way of bringing peace in, even in the middle of that. Don't miss this. I'll tell you why you have it. It's because the more you try to control what you don't have the power to control, the more out of control your life becomes. The more you try to control what you don't have the power to control, the more out of control your life becomes. Why? Because you start to manipulate. You start to, you start to try to control other people. You try to step in and control the situations. But what God is saying, and I believe the lesson that we can learn from Jesus, is instead of trying to figure out how to fix something, maybe we ought to run to our prayer rock in our metaphorical garden of Gethsemane and fall on our face and say, God, I would love for there to be a different way, but if not, I will surrender to the way that ultimately leads me to your will. I want your will in my life. And so I'm not going to try to take control of the way that has been in place before the foundations of the world to get me to where you want me to be. In 2016, I was driving up to, we have a ranch in South Georgia. And I was divorced and the whole thing had ended. And, um, I was driving with my brother. We were heading up to the ranch to just relax and spend some time there. I had, I was on my, I'd ended my sabbatical, I believe, and I was back in ministry and we were serving again. I was serving again. I was single, single pastor, which is so weird. Um, and that was a struggle walking through that. I was driving and, and I was just in prayer with the, with the Father and I kept asking, am I ever going to be in a relationship again? Do I, am I going to be a single pastor for us? Like, what is this going to look like for me? Like, God, I, I would have never put this in the script. And I just felt the Father say, uh, spoke these words to me, and he said, um, I, don't, I don't want you to worry about this. I'm going to bring a woman into your life out of the north. And I just in the, I felt the impression, the word of the Father. He said, look at the clock. I looked at the clock. It was 3.13. I don't know if you've ever had an encounter with God like this, but when you do, you've got to tell somebody because it freaks you out a little bit. <laughs> But just be prepared because you'll be freaked out as well and be like, you're, you're nuts. And so my brother was in the car, and he's a pastor too. And, and I said, hey, man, i got to tell you what the Father just spoke to me. And, and uh, I thought he was going to be in full support. He's like, well, that's weird. You know, thanks for making me feel good about this. Anyway, he said, well, let, let's, let's pray about it, right? So we did. I didn't really think much more about it. <clears throat> January, that happened. And then in a few, a few months later, um, my brother came to me and his wife's best friend very close friend of hers, he said, hey, I would like for you to meet this person. And I said, okay. And uh, he opened up his Facebook and, um, and he showed me a picture of her. And I said, oh, my goodness. Well, okay then. And uh, I said, yeah, let's, let's see what God does. You ready for this? I looked down. I was looking at the father. I said, look at the date. I know you know this, where it's going already. You know the date. It was 313. It was March 13. And I thought, well, well maybe, Father, you're, you're doing something here. And, um, oh, by the way, he said to me, Doc, she lives in North Carolina. I said, oh, I better pay attention to this one. 
So I began to pray through it. I had a mentor that I was walking through, by the way, still my mentor today. She's an 82-year-old woman. I kid you not. We call her the Oracle. Totally insane, but very godly. When you have an 82-year-old woman as as a mentor, they are not afraid to speak anything because they don't care. I say it with all the love to the 82-year-old and above in here. Um, she walked me through this journey. <clears throat> and uh, we were introduced after a few months. I wasn't allowed. You're ready for this? I'm in my 40s. My mentor said, not allowed to call her. I'm like, okay. Walks us through the whole dating process. She walked us through a year of mentoring while we were dating. And uh, May 5th, following year we came together and got married three months later I'll never forget she walked in with the pregnancy test and she said we're having a baby and I was like really I'm supposed to be a grandpa what are we doing like I'm going to be 45 this year so we went through the whole pregnancy part of it and um remember after the baby was born now I have two daughters now a 19 year old and a 15 year old I was I had taken a picture of the baby and <clears throat> um, I was sitting in the um, little decompression room for fathers like we have a lofty decompression room we work hard right so <clears throat> I'm sitting in this decompression room and I'm just praying by myself and I send um, a couple pictures out to my buddies and they weren't being mean, they're saying it tongue in cheek. They're like, dude, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing? Like, you're supposed to be moving into grandpa stage. What is it that you're doing here? And uh, I started to feel that way. I'm like, yeah, maybe. What am I doing? The father spoke to me, and here's what he said. He said, Christian, I'm giving you an opportunity to get it right this time. And this little girl that you have my perfect will for your life to be able to raise your daughter not in a broken home but in the will and the way of the father embrace it and walk it out I wanted to change every second of the crisis that I was walking through and I would have changed it if I was in charge but I realized that what I was walking through was not happening to me it was happening for me God said I'm bringing you somewhere son I have the ability to get you there. But you've got to trust that I have the best for you. You've got to surrender the outcomes over to me. I'd like to ask this question this morning. I'd like you to ask yourself, what is it that's in my life that I need to relinquish so I can step into God's best? What is it that you're holding on to right now that if you were to let it go in this moment that the spirit of God would take over and move you into kingdom authority know this church that whatever you don't relinquish eventually becomes your master Jesus made it very clear that you cannot serve two masters. 
So would you just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment? Would you take a minute to just ask him? What is it? Maybe you already know it's already on the top of your head. What is it that I'm holding on to that I need to relinquish that's keeping me from stepping into God's best. I'm trying to control outcomes. I'm trying to manipulate people. I'm trying to manipulate things at work, but I just need to let it go and surrender to this process. God didn't wake up this morning and you had to bring him up to speed on your story. What you're seeing through the windshield, God is already seeing through the rearview mirror. He's got it under control. It is time for you to let go of the control and to turn it over to him and let him do his thing in your life. You may have to repeat this as affirmation a hundred times a day. I know that I did until it sank in. But it starts right here in this moment with you saying, I'm going to let it go. Some of you, it may be your wife. You've been controlling her or your spouse or your kids, your employees, your employer. There's something in your life, your health, you're trying to control it and it's driving you insane. Right now in this moment, I want you to just say these these words. Father God, this thing that I am trying to control has actually become the thing that is controlling me. Right now, to the best of my ability, I am relinquishing it over to you. I'm going to trust you to lead me into your best. I will only control my actions and my attitude. I will get up every day and do the next right thing and the next right way. But the outcomes belong to you. I'm going to believe you to lead me into your perfect world. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you made a decision or would like to know more about us, you can connect with us at hamiltonhillschurch.org or via social media at Hamilton Hills Church. Also, if our church has impacted you in any way and you would like to make a donation, you can do so by going to hamiltonhillschurch.org slash give. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time on the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast.